Welcome to the Rise Up Kings podcast, where you'll hear from the pros who've built business empires without sacrificing their faith, family, or fitness. The host, Skylar Lewis, has built multiple multi-million dollar companies, is an author, speaker, and founder of the three-day Rise Up Kings experience. It's time to rise up to your God-given potential and create a life of liberty, abundance, and impact. To learn more about Rise Up Kings, go to riseupkings.com. Don't forget to subscribe. All right, so this next guest for the Rise Up Kings podcast is dropping fire Mike Rosas is a, he's the currently the chaplain of the Houston Rockets. He is a family man. He is a man of such strong faith. Uh, he has multiple businesses, has written multiple books, and is a speaker. And so he is uh, he is the uh, he is the epitome of a, a man of faith, uh, a man of family, a man who takes care of himself, and a, and a businessman. So he really represents the four pillars well. Thank you for being on the show, Mike. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. Honored to be with you all today. Yeah, yeah, glad to glad to have you. So, so I'm sure for the, the different podcasts shows that you're on, everybody's curious about being the chaplain of the Houston Rockets. It's such a unique profession, right? It's so unique. So, I'd love to start out like, what what is it? What is it? Well, a, what do you do? Like, what is the what, what what are the things that we don't see that you do? And then, what is it like being a chaplain for the Rockets? Yeah, for sure. So. So chaplaincy is basically the same around the league. Every NBA team does chapel. And so, so what happens is 60 minutes before the game, we'll have a time together. The home and away team, it's voluntary. So whatever players want to come, we'll come together. And there's a room separated in each arena. And then we'll just share the gospel. We'll preach for about 15, 20 minutes, pray, and then just do some time of sharing. And so uh, it's great. You know, they, they, I love the fact they join both teams together, home and away. The idea is to show them there's something that's bigger than basketball, which is God. And, uh, you know, it gives us time. So every every team has a chaplain. So you're usually able to see uh, all the players that are believers or on the journey throughout the throughout the league. So we've had a I've been doing it. This is my 12th season now, uh, greatly affected by COVID, to say the least. And so some some teams call them uh, character coaches. And so we basically, you know, try to bring them the truth of the gospel to help and encourage them uh, on their path. If I had to make a guess, I guess uh, a conservative estimate would be maybe 15 to 20 percent of the league will, will go through chapel. And okay. so, you know, we have some big name stars to go through there. and We have some rookies to go through there also and everything in between. And so, you know, our, our job there is to bring the truth and to, uh, you know, give them some hope in the midst of that. They can't really go to your regular Sunday midweek service church. Okay. And so we kind of fill in the gap. The guys in uh, in six months will go through roughly about if you include a, a long playoff and a preseason about a hundred games, and so it's not really it, it's not really that easy for them to go to your average weekly attended church. So we try to go in there and you know uh, take the the truths and the universal principles of the scriptures and communicate to them in such a way that it speaks to them and to where they're at. This isn't your regular Sunday morning messages. These are things that are you know, kind of specific to them and where they're at in life. With the current political climate, I just thought of this. Where, where do you see where do you see this going? Do you see that that field and that that ministry opportunity? Is it under attack at all, or 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 is it like yeah? Where do you, where do you see the future of? 
Um, well, you know, I, I think there's so many big name players that are for it and it's important to them that yeah. the NBA knows that's kind of a sacred cow that they don't want to touch because if it's something that they did. There's enough big name players to find value in it that, that they would, again, then find problems with the league trying to affect that. Got it. Got it. And, and how does that, how does that affect your family? That's uh yeah, <laughs> you know it's a it's a it's a unique situation to say the least. The schedule is crazy. It is a voluntary position. I don't get paid for it. But again, you know, my passion is to bring the truth to those who are desperately searching for it, whether they know it or not. But you know, it does affect schedules. You know, I, I've done a lot of Christmas games. I've done a lot of New Year's games. A lot of holiday games. But it's a it's a field that that God has given us to steward, and so I take that calling very highly. And so, um, so you know, we've received a lot of blessings. It's awesome for the girls to you know to look up on TV, see Daddy on the sidelines, things of that sort. But then you know, I teach them same thing. We have uh, we have an orphanage. We have an orphanage in Columbia, South America, and I tell them there's no difference between Daddy preaching to the orphans we have in a home in Columbia or these uh, you know millionaires who have mansions. God loves them all the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that could be a uh it's a blessing and i'm sure just that challenge because i know i have a i have a five and an eight-year-old boy two boys and man i love the time i get to spend with them but I've, as i've been doing more speaking and we do a lot of coaching and consulting and with our events it's uh, i've had uh, less time with them and so it's mm -hmm. um you know kind of disappointing in the end though i know that i'm you know the cause that i'm working for my passion and purpose and so it's uh in alignment so it is it is what it is so i make sure that time i have to be much more intentional right with the time that i do get with the kids and with my wife so it's uh just part of the deal so you you seem you seem like the type of person that really lives on purpose and with intentionality what what would you say is 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 your your purpose or your mission like what why do you why do you feel like god has you on this planet you know, I, I think I think my greatest um, way to define that is to bring the king and his kingdom uh, to light in a dark world. I'm very passionate about God. He's been very gracious to me, his love. He saved me who didn't deserve it. And so because of that, I want to take that. And I want to share it with the world. From the age of six to the age of 21, I had a, a, I guess, a condition known as stuttering. And so I literally couldn't put two sentences together without stuttering. And so because of that, it really shaped the way I see the world. And so I, if there's one thing I learned from studying the scriptures is that the enemy always attacks what he's afraid of. And so it let me know, it gave me this, this peer into the future that that was a place that God was going to use me in. And so now I try to make sure that I use my words for the furtherance of his kingdom. So whether it be in front of NBA players, whether it be in front of business leaders or whether it be in front of children, I'm always trying to make sure that I'm communicating that clear, concise and consistent message. Because at the end of the day, I want to, to a certain extent, disappear so that Christ can reappear through me because I have very little to offer. But the father has the answer to every problem humanity could ever have. So I try to be very intentional to, to, um, to live life in such a way that I would cause people to draw closer to Christ and not, not give any disdain for, for the gospel. But I'm also very passionate. I, I tell people, hey, you know, it, uh, is our lives worthy of Christ's death? Are we living in such a way? You know, are we living a nine to five life? which isn't biblically defined, or are we living for a life that's trying to build the, the dream of the kingdom of heaven rather than the American or any other nation dream? Yeah. Is the, uh, so the, 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 
some of the stars that you're working with, I mean, the, the kind of the biggest challenge I see, or one of the challenges is lessening of themselves and, and really making God bigger, right? Kind of glory, because that's kind of the thing. When you create that much success to be a professional athlete, you're, 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 uh, the ability to, to humble yourself seems like that is a very challenging, could be a challenging obstacle. So is that something that you're able to communicate through being a chaplain? Because you just mentioned that there, right? The kind of lessening of yourself. And right. so it, how, how does that how does that play play into that? I'm, I'm curious because that's part of, I, I really believe that humility is such a core piece mm-hmm. of, of a Christian's life. And, and I know that's biblical. However, when you do create success, it can be, it can be challenging. And that's been my, my battle, right? It's managing humility with still creating success and still showing up with that passion and that confidence, but then managing, yeah, when, 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 when we are creating a lot of success, just giving it to God. And that was actually a conversation I just had with a, a previous guest on our podcast was how do you, yeah, how do you, how do you, how do you manage both of those? And so, yeah, I'm curious how, how that plays out in your interaction with these athletes. You know, it is hard to tell somebody, hey, be hungry and ambitious and at the same time, humble and wait upon the Lord. It, it could seem like it's diametrically opposed, but in the kingdom of God, um, it's an upside down kingdom. Things that don't make sense to humanity makes perfect sense in the Father's hands. And so um, so I, I tell them, I say, hey, you know, here we are. It's usually a group of anywhere between like three to 10 people. And I say, and, you know, you're about to go out in front of 17,000 people that are going to clap every time the ball touches your hands. I say, but there will be a point where you will move out of that and there won't be 17,000 people clapping and screaming your name anymore. There will be a point where this season, which the average NBA career is three and a half seasons, where you'll step out of this. I, I had a friend who was a, who was a famous uh, musician, and when he transitioned out of, out of music, he became uh, he worked in uh, marketing for nonprofits and uh, he was a believer. He's an awesome guy. And he said, man, one of the biggest wake up calls for me was was when I sent an email and I didn't get a standing ovation. He said it was so foreign to me because everything else I did caused a standing ovation. But now that was no longer there. So he said it, it caused a battle for my identity. So I told the guy, I said, here's the thing. Whether you make the shot or you don't, you have a heavenly father who's always clapping for you. Whether you're you're successful in this season or not, you have God who's always going to be cheering you on. So if you put your focus on that, then when the praise comes to you, and it will come because of the level of life you're at, you won't get lost in it. Because I think for those of us who are alphas, who are high achievers, who are who are pushed to, to maximize and max out our life, it's hard for us to, to have that balance. And so, you know, it, I, I answer it the same way people say, you know, how do you feel standing in front of, you know, NBA players or, or celebrities or business leaders, millionaires, fill in the blank. I say, you know what? I say, anytime I, I'm standing before somebody that would consider a great man or woman, I said, I make sure and I kneel before the Lord first. Because if I kneel before the Lord, I'll never be nervous whoever I stand in front of. And so I try to bring the guys back to this, like, yeah, like, like you have a great fame, but the reality is the majority of the world still doesn't know you. 90, 90% of the world has no idea you're alive. I said, so, so don't worry about that because they may cheer for you one day and they may boo you the next. I said, focus on the person who what they think of you is the most important in this universe. I said, focus on the person who loves you, period. And I said, that will get you through the highs and lows that I 100% assure you will happen in your life. Mm, so good. So good, man. I love the uh, the power behind everything you just said right there. It's a, that's something because so, so we work with, um, 
you know, a lot of Christian business owners and we have, we have our events we put on, but after that we have a continuing like uh, mastermind involvement. So we have a, a little under a hundred people at the time of this. We'll have a couple hundred by the end of the, the year. And these are guys that are high achievers, high performers. They're all in on their businesses and we're, we're helping them create that balance where they can not only be all in in their business, but Hey, how do you, how do you keep faith a priority? How do you keep your family a priority? How do you keep your fitness and your health a priority along with your business? Because that's the biggest challenge that I've found. You probably see it with athletes too, right. is where they, they just are such high performers that the other areas go out of balance and right. you lose balance with, with, with them. So we have something called the four pillars, faith, family, fitness, and finance. And we teach guys how to stay and how to intentionally invest in your faith daily, your family daily, your fitness daily, along with your business. And so- yeah, it's, it's huge. It's, it's a, and it's a major crisis. I mean, the divorce rates are out of control, right? Guys are so focused on their business. They don't know how to emotionally connect at home and stay present at home with their families and with their wives. And it's, it's a major plague. It's, it's a, it's a seriously a very, uh, it's, it's a big issue. And so, so that, that must be relevant in your, in your space, I imagine, right? I mean, maybe even to a higher extent. Than, than, a, than a, a real intense, you know, business owner. What's been your What's been your experience, and how do you How do you support men in, in that I mean, arena? <clears throat> the majority of these guys are younger guys, so they're not married. Okay. And so it's really hard when you have everybody around you being yes men, and, and then you go into this little, you know, twenty by ten uh, room with this chaplain you've never heard of, telling you no, you can't do this, no, you can't do whatever you want. And so we find the power is not necessarily who says yes, and who says no, but in what their what their truth is. Mm-hmm. And so we try to bring them back to the scriptures saying, look, balance doesn't work in every season. I would love to tell you that you'll have eight hours for your work, four hours for your family, three hours for fitness and two hours for finance. But it doesn't work that way. And so we don't necessarily want balance. What we want is stewardship. Am I putting first things first? There was a message. I can't remember who preached it. But they basically said, you're going to cheat on something. So make sure you're not cheating on your family. Make sure you're you're cheating on the right things so you don't have to cheat on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So I tell the guys, you have to identify what's number one in your life. And if Christ isn't number one, I don't care what's two through X. It's not going to work. So we have to make sure Christ is first because Christ is the one, Holy Spirit abiding inside of us, who will lead us to say, hey, pay attention to your 13-year-old daughter who's struggling with this. Pay attention to your wife who's struggling with this. There's daily, weekly, and monthly principles, but only the Holy Spirit is so in tune to identify what is that need at that point. Because whether it's a business idea that I need or, or whether it's stewarding my relationship with my wife, there's nobody that understands the world better than the Father. So it, it makes more sense to me that I have to make sure I get this one thing right, which is putting the Lord first, because then he will help me draw out what that looks like. Even, even for the most, you know, for the most organized and in tune people, the reality is organization, if, uh, if left unchecked, can lead you to your end because organization is not the end all be all. What is, is making sure that what's most important gets that place of importance. And then the other things, I mean, it's, it's the principle of the Sabbath. It's the principle of the tithe. When you honor God first, he makes that 90% in those six days work better than 18 days and, and 140% could any other way. Man, so good. Do you start off your mornings? How do you, what is, what does your morning routine look like? Or do you put God first or how do you, how do you, how do you make sure Christ stays uh, at the center in between all the craziness and, and life. 
So I, and I'll be honest, very vulnerable. I, I've run into points uh, of burnout. I've run into points of having things out of order, which has caused me to become obsessed with having a divine order to my day. So, so my day, because, uh, because we steward multiple companies and ministries is very unique. There's almost no two days the same. So what I have is not necessarily a, a normal morning routine. What I do have is certain staples that I have to accomplish in my day. And the first thing is four hours with God. The Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, for where I'm taking you, if you don't have a foundation of spending four hours in my presence, what does four hours look like? It looks like reading the Bible, praying, worshiping, just being in, in focused time where it's me and him. I'm not preparing to preach. I'm not preparing for a business meeting, but I'm just spending relational time with him. I've found that if I accomplish those four hours, my wife is happier. My children are more appreciated. My company flows better. Why? Because there's a supernatural aspect of not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. Yet a lot of us get really anxious about that spirit part because it's the unknown. It's the intangible. And so we're like, well, if I can't control it, how does it work? That's the way it works. You can't control it. <laughs> and so God said, if you just position yourself and make sure whatever that looks like four hours a day with me, he said, I'll make sure things work out the way they need to work out. Now, I don't lack in diligence in my job. I don't lack in diligence with my wife or my children. I, I still have to do my part. It's not like God does this magic wand and things just, you know, 10x. I, I start to be dealing with what I've seen is when I have those four hours in his presence, I have better ideas. I have better wisdom. I'm more patient in serving with my wife. I'm more intentional with my children. I have more creativity for my businesses. And so it's not like God's trying to take away from our time. God's trying to say, hey, you can't do this without me. So why don't you invest most in me and I can multiply most what you give in our hands? Because God can only work with what we place in his hands. So I know as long as I knock out those four hours, and I'll be honest, sometimes it takes me till 3 a.m., to knock out those four hours, but I make sure those four hours are there. Why? Because if my relationship with God is strong, I don't have to worry about cheating on my wife. If my relationship with God is strong, I don't have to worry about cheating on my taxes or cheating my employees. But if my relationship with God isn't strong, I don't care how headstrong I am about being faithful to my wife. Pride always leads to a fall. I don't care how diligent I am in my numbers. The desire to make myself grander always leads to a fall. So that's why I make sure that I have those four hours position with the Lord. And he identifies, hey, Mike, you've been neglecting your wife. You've been neglecting this business or you've been neglecting this aspect. And, and so I, I literally, for all my businesses and nonprofits, I take a time where I declare God as CEO in my life and to my employees. I tell them, hey, I, I may have the title of, of, of head of boss of president. I say, but God is the CEO of this company. And so he identifies, he identifies how things work. When I do that, he takes that seriously and he honors how our companies go and how our nonprofits go. And so that's why I give all the success, the glory to the Lord, because it, it's, it's way beyond my pay grade, so to speak. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's a lot of time, brother. Four hours. That's, uh, that's next level. That is next <laughs> level commitment to, to making sure your foundation's strong in Christ. I, uh, cause it, causing me to rethink some of my some of my uh, routines and, and just the amount of time I can get into to the to the word and to worship. I've, I've been taking more time out daily, actually, to actually worship. I was challenged by a, we just brought a pastor on staff, uh, Rise Up Kings. He runs an incredible church out here in uh, California. And, and, uh, and he, yeah, he challenged me, said, hey, what's your worship life look like? 
And so I really had to check in. What does my worship life look like? Like, I don't really like I spend time in the word. I pray. However, my my worship was definitely lacking in my my dedication of praising God and, and being present with him and really just actually worshiping him. And so I've been over this week, actually, I've been, I've been stepping up the worship game and it's powerful when you spend time and really, I mean, it takes away stress and really it it just creates a strong foundation to really operate out of on a daily basis when you're really giving this time to God. I I mean, we were created to worship. So if we don't worship God, something else will fill that position. And, And sadly, it's usually us. And, and, and I'm a poor thing to worship. And I, I found when I wasn't giving God that intentional time, what filled that spot was doing things for him. I, I don't do things well for him. I do things well with him, but I do things very poorly for him. It becomes an idol. It becomes this, it becomes out of place. And so God said, look, what you do with me is very important. But what's most important is what you and I have that relational time together. And so, you know, it's, you know, I think at this point, we've walked so much in our relationship with Christ that it's easier for me to be faithful to my wife than it is to cheat on her. It's easier for me to tell the truth than it is to lie, because I've been I've been walking with Christ for 30 years. But in that place, if I lose that first love, if I lose that relationship of placing him where he needs to be, then I can think me doing things for him takes the place of me being with him. And, and, and that was what led me to burnout. That's what led me to this intense season of 100 days of just extreme, extreme anxiety, anxiety, fear, worry. It was the most horrible period of my life. And God was like, look, man, like you're, you're putting good things on top of great things. You're putting good things in front of God. And anytime you do that, I, I don't care if you are feeding orphans. I don't care what you're doing. It's wrong. And so I, I've had to recalibrate and be, okay, what's most important is these four hours because, you know, the, the building can only go as high as the foundation is deep. And so for me, I want, I don't want to limit the Lord because of my shortcomings. So I'm like, God, I'm just going to separate myself four hours a day with you and whatever you want goes, right? I put everything on the altar, whatever you don't want, kill it, whatever you want, bring it to greater life. And God said, okay, for me to do that, I need you to separate four hours a day so I can speak to you, make you more Christ-like, and work in you what I need. Because everything else, you know, yes, I have to be excellent. I have to study to show myself approved. I have to be diligent. But everything else is secondary. God's like, if I can trust you with this, the Bible says God's eyes are looking uh, to and fro throughout the earth to see who he can show himself strong through. God's like, I'm just looking for faithful people. Like, it's not, it's not like you're awesome and I had to use you. I'm just looking for anybody to agree with me. And the people that agree with him are the ones that can hear him. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So my faith is connected to my ability to identify what he's saying in the moment and agreeing. Because agreement is a place of power. And so I have to agree with what he's saying, but I can't agree with what he's saying if I can't hear what he's saying. So what's most important to me is that my ears are attuned to hear his voice because that is the place of power and that is the place of ultimate execution and production. Hmm. What was the uh, what was that verse that you uh, mentioned where it talked about really God's just looking for strong? Yeah, strong. Uh, it, 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 the Bible says that God's eyes go to and fro throughout the earth looking to see who he can show himself strong through. God, God just God saying, man, I'm looking for for anybody. You know, Jesus is really just looking for for donkeys that he can ride into Jerusalem on. I raise my hand, and God's like, I'll use him. I love that. I'm writing that down right now. That's a uh, that, that's a powerful uh, 
verse, man. You got you dropping some 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 nuggets, some wisdom right here. The building can only go as high as the foundation is deep. Powerful uh, insight and, and will live knowing that God is our foundation, right? And so you've you've taken that to heart. So many people talk about this, but you've actually you've taken it to heart and actually have, have put in place a just a new level of commitment to, to build that foundation strong. I mean, again, next level, I've never heard of anybody talking about four hours. So that's kind of a, uh, my mind's still blown actually by, <laughs> by, by that, by, I'm still processing it uh, because I, I, that's something that I've done is I've taken what works well and, and read as I read scripture, I, I, I'm identifying who, who the, uh, just two incredible men of God are and like what they, what they do and their life and how they're, they're great examples uh, of, of, of living out Christ on a daily basis. So that's, that's just, that's just so powerful. Uh, changing, changing, uh, changing gears here. What you talk a lot about generations and in your book, uh, you talk about the next, this next generation is, is misdiagnosed. Like what, what do you mean by that? And tell me, and tell me, and explain, if you explain to our, our audience, like what, what is, what is one of the biggest challenges, even before we go into that question, what's one of the biggest challenges with our current and future generations that you're seeing? So I, the Lord in 2009, I, I was a, a youth group speaker for a long time, and I still am. I'm very passionate about the next generation. And a lot of times, you know, I, I spoke to executives from, from large secular companies, and, and they tell me, man, our budget for the next generation is in the billions. I speak to the church and the church says, oh, Mike, we'd love to bring you in, but we don't have a budget for the youth. I'm like, I don't care. I'll, I'll go for free because you have to understand where the value is at. And the value is in every generation. But there's something specific about taking them when they're young that, that changes the game. So uh, in 2009, the Lord dropped one word in my spirit and he said, I want you to study out revolutionaries. So I studied out 75 revolutionaries, good, the bad and the ugly, that literally individuals that literally shape nations. As I began to study out their lives, it took me about three months to study out, to begin my study. I've been studying it for 12 years now. It, it took me about three months to just identify who were the actual people. I began to read their lives, and I began to see the gifts that this next generation has. I began to see almost 100% of the individuals that change nations were creatives. If you had to define this next generation, the world defines them as producers. Why? Because you've seen them producing movies and music in their bedrooms. That's why TikTok and all these other social media apps have gone through the roof, not only in valuation, but in usage. Why? Because young people are producing content. There's a, a young kid, an eight-year-old, who made $22 million last year just showing toys on YouTube. So you think about that and we can look down like, man, what does this kid do? Well, he identified the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, and he identified this perfect intersection between demand and purpose. And so as I began to study these 75 revolutionaries, each one of them had gifts that interacted with what God said the next generation has. So I said, what if we have misdiagnosed this next generation? Because we've judged the new wineskin by the old wineskin, and we've misjudged them, so we missed out on an opportunity. We haven't lost it, but we've missed out on an opportunity to this point. I, I was speaking, I, I recorded a TV show in Dallas uh, with a good friend of mine, Major General Bob Dees, and he was saying, Mike, uh, he's an older gentleman that served in the, in the, in the Army to some of the highest levels, incredible guy. And he said, Mike, he said, my generation, 
loves the next generation. He said, but, but we do struggle a little bit with them. And he said, you know, we see everyone getting ribbons, right? We see these things. He said, so, so, so what's your take on it? I said, so here's my thing. I said, we see, we see everybody in blue ribbons. We see, um, we see they created timeout spaces in universities, right? And so they're looking down this next generation. I said, but let me ask you this. I said, who gave them the blue ribbons? Did they give it to themselves? I said, who gave them the timeout spaces in the universities? Did they give it to themselves? No. It was the prior generation that identified in their own thinking that they needed it. Why? Because they judged them by the, the wrong wineskin. So what happens is that the next generation is always the answer to the prayers of the last generation, but it's usually not the way they were expecting it. So what happens when we have something that's powerful, but we don't know how to use it? Well, then it becomes a, an iPhone that we use just for pictures. So what happens is we have a generation that God has great purpose for, but that generation will never, will never walk into its full, into its full destiny without the fathers and mothers walking them into it. Why? Because he's always a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I was speaking at a conference, and this uh, sweet old lady, uh, a prayer warrior, she came up to me, held my hands, and cried, looked at me. She said, Mike, when you, when you cross the Jordan, you go to the promised land. She said, please don't forget us. I looked into her eyes, and I said, we can't make it there without you. It's this understanding that if we don't work together, we're never going to make it to the next side. So it's not like just the next generation. It's just the next generation that's going to do it. No, it's the generation that's on the earth. But we, as the fathers and mothers, have to rightly identify them. We did something in the church that was similar to the world that was very dangerous. We created internships at church. At an internship, you come for a set amount of months and you learn. You learn enough to be dangerous, not enough to be proficient. And so what happened is we have these people who are going into ministry who know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to take the mantle to where it needs to be. So what happened is, is about a hundred years ago, we used to do something that was that, that the older generation connected with the younger generation and they worked together until the younger generation was better than the older generation and the older generation would bless them and would send them off. But we went from that place to internships. Come spend three months with me. We'll teach you how to do it. You can't learn nothing in three months. So we have to go back to that place of identifying the gifts, the talents, the strengths in the next generation and saying, hey, let's sit together and let's journey together for 10 years. I'm not going to release you. Yes, I, I, I may use you. I may use you in different places. You may leave, but we're not we're not leaving each other. We're, we're running through this together until you're better than me. So that takes me, the father, not being prideful enough to think, you know what? Nobody's ever going to do this better than me. Because that's not the way God does it. God forbid my, my daughters and my son aren't better than me. If they aren't, then I failed. But if I can work with somebody and say, I'm not leaving you until you're better than me, then what happens? And the kingdom will move further, faster than it ever could in just these two puny hands. So we have to think, who is number one above us? Because in the Bible, Jesus never said to, to do away with the old wineskin. He just said there's a new wine skin. But if you think about it, he also said the old wine skin is more valuable. When we think about wine, it's always the older wine that has a higher price tag. So it's not about doing away with the old wine skin. It's about giving each one, stewarding it well, and giving its right value and its right usage in that moment. And so now as I look at the next generation, I'm seeing them say, oh, well, millennials are lazy. You know, Gen Z is, you know, all they care is about social media. And I'm thinking... Yeah, but, but what if that's their gifting? 
Were we praying in the past generation that God would use our children to, to mark the world? And now he is, but it's not the way we thought. And so we have a problem with that. Weren't we the ones praying God raise up a generation that, that would show forth your glory and your power? And, and he is, but he's doing it in a way that we weren't used to. And so what happens is there's, there's error on both sides, right? The younger generation may not be giving the older generation the honor they deserve. The older generation may not be giving them the, the compassion, the care that they deserve. And so in that, what happens? There's this disconnect. Mm-hmm. One of the most powerful words in the Bible is Malachi 4, 6. And I'll give you some insight into the enemy's strategy. The enemy's greatest weapon is not lying. The enemy's greatest weapon is forcing God to keep his own word. In Malachi 4, 6, it says the hearts of the fathers will turn to the hearts of the children and the children to the fathers. God says, or I will strike the earth with a curse. So Satan says, you know what? I can't I can't beat them. They can only beat themselves. So if I can keep them divided, then God has to keep his word and he has to strike the earth with a curse. After that verse, we had 400 years of silence. So we have to begin to understand the importance of unity and the importance of identifying the next generation. I, I speak at schools throughout America, and, uh, and I, I've used, the Lord has graced me to use stuttering as kind of my platform to show them, hey, everybody deals with something, but we have the power to overcome it. And I have kids who come up to me crying after our talks, and they say, you understand me better than my parents have in 15 years. Parents because sometimes I'll do conferences for parents after I speak to the children and parents will say, the kids never share their hearts with me. I said, your kid in 15 minutes just told me he cuts himself and he thinks about ending his life. And parents will be like, well, I had no idea. I say, look, I, I, I know you don't. It's always harder at home, right? Jesus said a prophet never gets honor at home, but there's something about showing passion, intentionality and care that God can minister to a heart and heal those places. So sometimes we need somebody from the outside to come in. There's nothing wrong with that. No shame with that. God created us as a body. Everybody has different strengths. So I don't want anybody feeling ashamed. What I do want you to feel is aware. Because the enemy sees greater potential in the next generation, sadly, than the church does. The church is saying, oh, you're no good. You're lazy. You're, you're, you're worthless. And the enemy is saying, oh, man, you're incredible. You're amazing. You're the generation I've been waiting for. So who do you think they're going to go to? Hmm. Hmm. Man, what, what's the, what, what do you think the, I mean, because you, you got you working on this revolution, right? And so what's the, uh, what do you think the, well, two questions. One, what, what is the, what is the answer, the actual answer from a tactical perspective? Mm-hmm. Like what, what, what can people go out and do? That's that. And then two, how do fathers just connecting with, I mean, a lot of fathers that listen to this podcast. And so what is something that they can do to really connect with their kids hearts at, at a different level than maybe they, they have before because that that is a that is a, that can be a challenge right is getting their kids to fully open up even if they try like so what's uh, those two part two part question so so the first thing is in a revolution what you see is that anything can be used as a weapon i, I was invited as a uh, as a visitor by the government of israel to the nation in 2019 and, and they showed me some of the marketing materials that enemy groups were using against them. And, and it was so profound. They showed a writer's pen and it turned into a rifle. They showed a hammer of a worker and it turned into a sword. And the message they were communicating is that 
everything can be used for the revolution. Hmm. So do whatever you've been called to do. But on top of that, bring somebody beside you. Right. You should never. There should be very few times you're alone. Now, that time is with God. One of the things we see was so profound about Jesus that kind of alludes to my four hours uh, a day with God is that we would see Jesus spend seconds with humans and he would bring supernatural change. But the Bible says that he would spend all night with the father. So there's something about spending hours with God that allows us to bring impacts in shorter periods of time with humanity. So there should be time you should be alone, but always try to bring somebody along. If you're going to a retreat, bring bring another dad along. If you're going to a, a, a sporting event when those open back up again, right? Bring a bring a kid with you. If you don't have any kids, perfect. The Bible says that she who has no children will have more children than the one that naturally birthed them. What they meant is there's a lot of there's a lot of fatherless and motherless children in the world right now. You are the answer to that. So do what you're doing, but bring somebody alongside with you. The second thing, I have, I, I have, I have two daughters. I grew up with three brothers, so I know very little about girls. But I, I have two daughters, and I have a younger son. They're incredible. They are. God looked at me, and for some reason, he thought I was better than I was and gave me children that I didn't deserve. But my older daughter, she's, you know, she's, she's getting to the place where she's um, progressing, she's maturing, she's emotionally thinking through things. And so... Um, so when she gets mad, you know, sometimes she'll talk it out with us. Sometimes she'll go to her room. I make sure she never goes to her room alone. If she's going through a problem, I'm not going to wait until it becomes a situation. I go and I sit at her bed. She, she may be crying or she may be stewing because I told her, hey, you know, you can't play with this or you're not going to get this toy or fill in the blank. It's very, very elementary at this point. But if she's mad, I don't let I don't allow her to be alone. I want her because she doesn't know how to mentally, you know, process these things. I want to help her. So even if she's mad at me and she goes to her room, she'll say, Daddy, I need a moment. And I'll say, okay. And I'll stand outside of her door and I'll be like, one. And then I'll walk in and I'll tickle her. I'll break the ice. But I am there. I drop whatever I'm doing. I wait until she wants to talk or until she feels better. We have to become obsessed with our children. We, we have to understand that you can't, that, that nothing happens unintentionally, but gaining weight. Am I right? <laughs> so we have to be intentional with our children. So when my children are, are struggling with, so, and I don't want to paint this picture that I'm the best dad and that I'm scoring all tens. Goodness. I, I, I fell a lot. Thank God I have gracious wife and children. But if I see my children dealing with something, they never deal with it alone. I go, I sit with them. I sit at their feet. I tell stupid jokes. Whatever it takes to break the ice, but I, I do separate. It's usually our greatest, our greatest mistakes are usually precipitated by us being alone. Our, our most foolish mistakes are usually preceded by us getting alone and stewing over something, getting angry and getting, you know. What I'm tired, so we get act out. But if we had a brother with us, we had a father, if we had a mother, if we had a sister, if we had somebody coming with us, most likely we could have talked it out and that have not happened. In, a, in sophomore year, one of my best friends committed suicide. In suicide note, he said, I'm saying goodbye to the world because nobody cares anyway. Three days later at his funeral, there was 203 students there. I thought to myself, 203 students who could have done something and didn't. And I, I, I positioned with God in my life. I said, God, if you help me, that will never be the story of anybody around me again.
I will not allow that to happen. So am I annoying? Yes. <laughs> am I obnoxious? Yes. But my friends and my family know when they're going through something, they are not going to be alone. Mm. That's a, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of, lot of wisdom there. That's, uh, that's something I do with my wife, actually, when, when, we, when she gets frustrated. I make sure that I'm present, even though she wants to be alone. All right. Times where she'll or she'll go out, but otherwise, I try to talk it out to allow to her to process it. I just had a following out with a really good friend, and he, uh, anyway, he's 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 not allowing me to talk to him right now. So I've been like reaching out regularly, just putting myself in a humble position, like, "Hey, man, I love you. Let's talk." Just trying to keep that conversation going, right? But it's 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 blend. It's you know that's it, it's off right now. But the goal is that I'm just present so he can eventually open that up because I know the longer he stays exactly well, without it, me, the, the more detrimental that that'll it'll it'll turn out bad. So I yeah, was, and it's not falling on deaf ears yeah. you know, because you're doing it in love. That is speaking volumes to him, even if he's not ready for it at this moment. It is speaking volumes to him. Mm. Yeah, I got to keep going. I was also challenged by my pastor. He said, you got to keep you got to keep going. Yeah. Don't give up. Don't give up. Just see the uh, see that relationship being restored and by you just being present and just being there. So, man, such good stuff. This is fun. I, I, I love your energy. You have a ton of passion. I'm excited to see what you create with your just your, your path that you're on. You're on a very just an incredible path of impact and making a difference. And uh, there's an obvious calling on your on your life. And um you're very, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's very inspiring. What is, so the book, you're, you, you have, uh, you have two books out, right? That you, you're an author of two books. What would, what, what are the, what are the titles of those for the audience and, and where can they get those? And what's a little bit of background? Because again, it's, this, it's around this revolutionary, right? Revolutionary, yeah. which, which is a conversation that is critical. I do, I do work with a company called Groundwire okay. and they're a nonprofit and they're one of the, I think they're the largest in the country of, of advertisers yeah. to youth. So they go advertise to you through social media. So they have mil hundreds of millions of, of ads that go out. They have a gigantic budget and a short little 30 second minute long clips uh, sharing Jesus and, and, and showing just the pain and the hurt that kids are going through right now. And so his whole thing is we got to reach, we got to reach this next generation right. where they're at. A lot of them aren't mm -hmm. at church. They're on their phones. I forgot what the statistic is, but it's it's uh, eight hours a day. I think uh, an average kid spends on their phone and checking their phone. It's over a hundred times, over a hundred and fifty times a day that they actually check their phone. And so it's a, it's a massive. They're they're on their phone. So how are we reaching this next generation? It's it's through social media. Like that is the way to reach them. Uh, you're doing it right. That the, the uh, gorilla, you know, marketing method. You're out there hitting the pavement and going and speaking and doing this stuff, which is powerful. And, and it's like, how do we leverage wh where they're at? And so I believe you're on the right path, man, just, just really speaking into this next generation and being that light for them and helping the other generation, which is what I'm hearing from you, helping that other generation understand where the, wh wh the, 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 just where this next generation is and their strengths and how to look at them in a, in a very positive light and knowing that they, we need to bring them along and really mentor them uh, on this path of life, which is, which is incredible. So. So yeah, uh, yeah. Which books? What, what book do you recommend out of out of both of those? And and where can they get that book? For sure, our our ministry is called Uprising Society, and you can check out our website, uprisingsociety.org. 
I mean, our books are on there. The first one I wrote is called Change the World, Becoming a Revolutionary. And it was uh, it was in 2010 I wrote that. And it was uh, under all my studying. So I wrote a 40-day devotional based out of First and Second Timothy, where Paul was handing over the revolution to Timothy. And so it's a very simple read, but it's how kids can impact their worlds today. Now, when you become 18, now when you have a college degree, now when you have fill in the blank, but how can you do it today? And so it's a, it's a great, simple read for anybody from elementary school, middle school, high school, college. But the idea is to impact them today. And so we saw we saw great response. It really resonated with uh, with the cities we went to. And so um, so the Lord challenged me a little bit later to write a book for parents. And so this is for parents, teachers, anybody who has influence on millennial and post-millennial generations. And it's called Leading the Revolutionary Generation. And it's all about understanding what it is to be to be the person that carries the banner, right? To be the person that carries what what it looks like for the other generations to follow. And so um, so for us, the idea was to empower parents to understand what their kids are dealing with and how they can interact with them. And so leading the revolutionary generation was about giving them the tools that they can do today, the things they can do right now. They can put the book down and interact with their kids. But the first thing is to understand them. If they don't understand them, you're just preaching to them. So we have to come down off the pulpit, meet them where they're at, love them, and help lead them to where God has created for them to be. Mm, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Mike, I really appreciate this, man. Again, I love your energy and your passion and your desire to make a difference. And I look forward to, to connecting with you more and, and uh, following this journey, this trail of fire that you're leaving behind you, just making a difference, brother. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for being on the show. No, thank you so much. It was a huge, huge honor. I love what you are doing. Any way we can partner together in the future would always be a yes for me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in for more episodes, which come out every other week. Click the subscribe button to become a part of the Rise Up Kings tribe and check out the three-day experience at riseupkings.com.